0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 146th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's rolling up shop and posting our cast on someone else's website. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter, my co host as always is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey guys, uh glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing all of our great information. James,
0: how have you been? Good, sir. It's been a busy, busy week. Had a big birthday for Lara on the weekend. Yeah, two what a year. Two years is just flown 30? by. Two years.
1: Two, two years. Has has been I remember when you were when you were pregnant with her. You personally, when you yeah.
0: personally. first male know. ever to give birth, yeah, it's a so magical that. baby. That's why she's called Alara. finance money, it hurt, but I feel better now. <laughs>
1: uh, well, it's exciting, it's very exciting. You, uh,
0: you, you would put that climbing wall that I put on Twitter in her room, let her <laughs> <app> at <laughs> that. Funny, the funny thing is that I spent most of my life doing adventure sports, jumping out of planes. Went to all seven continents before I was 30, tons of parkour all over the world, shot a parkour video film that we made over the course of six months that was funded and like shot in five cities and jumped off buildings and all sorts of shit. And then just the second I had a kid, I I felt doubtful as to whether I would let her do any of that. And I have yeah. to like remind, my, my wife has to fight with me on a daily basis to remind me that I wanted to raise an Amazon. hm-hmm um, <laughs> It's tricky. I, I sent you that link to the article on, on the Atlantic talking about kind of the denigration of, um, like the exploration of risk, um, in childhood and how a combination of over parenting and the legal system has, you know, steered us away from into a very different version of childhood than existed 50 or 60 years ago. um, and I don't pretend at all to have the answers on this particular topic. In fact, I struggle with it pretty much every week. So would I put the climbing wall up? Yeah, I think I would. But I, I understand climbing fairly well. I've climbed for 25 years. I've seen lots of kids under the age of six climb highly effectively. They have a really good mass body ratio, like mass to strength ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you said, like, there was like a relatively soft landing and no, like, ridiculously hard corners just under them where they could, like, cave their head in on the side of their bed. I think you were going to be just fine. Well,
1: yeah. And that, but that was why that picture caught my attention. Cause you're like, Oh, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't just a climbing wall in your kid's room. This is a climbing wall with multiple hard <laughs> edges between him and the ground and nothing soft to land on. And it's like, you know, they could do this correctly a hundred times, but man, they mess up once and it's going to be a mess.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it we, we were looking at a jungle gym that we were going to install. Um, and I was worried it might just collapse under its own weight <laughs> and like break one of her arms in between the various struts. So I don't know. It's weird being a parent feel completely differently than when you're assessing risk for your own purposes.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we skydived, jumped out of planes, and I loved it and would recommend it to anyone that'll listen. But at the same time, It's funny. I don't even have a kid and I see these pictures and it makes me nervous. You can only imagine if you've got a real
0: one. Yeah, and there's stuff that I would have done without hesitation before that I would think twice about now. Like I've long been the kind of guy that hardly ever put on his seatbelt. Dangerous for me, dangerous for others. And none of that ever changed my mind. But having Alara made me feel like it was just irresponsible to her. Well, for some reason, that responsibility felt more... More important to me, made me turn the corner and help everyone in, at the same time. To be fair, not wearing your seatbelt
1: isn't even a, a risk-seeking seeking thing. That's just dumb.
0: Yep. I, I agree. I, I never claimed it was cool or anything. I just didn't like the the restriction <clears throat> of the belt on my on my body. Oh but my I've, I've learned to endure it as terrible me. as it is. You're losing my sympathy <laughs> on this one.
1: Yeah. All right. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance and child safety community. <laughs> Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, wow. and read articles by some of the best financial and child rearing minds in the hobby. <laughs>
0: My child safety podcast would be just an utter disaster.
1: <laughs> so, for his, our
0: for first birthday, his, we took them lava walking yeah for, for as many times as I've uh, I've been accused of arrogance on topics of magic, finance, and economics, um, I, I don't think you'll find that on the, that on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel no I no, feel no sense of certainty. let's put it that way. It would be It would be a lot of interviews asking other people their views and taking in information, <laughs> which well, is an appropriate have, stance when you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about.
1: I would imagine anyone who professes to be an expert or otherwise, you know it shouldn't be right at least if you're a new parent no new parent can can make that claim research don't get it right till your fourth kid
0: yeah which in general just usually means ignoring the later children the uh, you tend to helicopter parent your first or second and if you only ever have one or two you might stay in that mode that's kind of the danger here we're not sure how many more we might have so all right to finance we got four segments this
1: week i'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly. Uh, big deviation. Segment one are top movers, cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two our uh, cards to watch. James and I will review some of the cards that we think might go up in price. Uh, spoiler, James stole mine this week. Uh, segment three, our metagame week in review. We're looking at uh, Baltimore, Star City Baltimore, the modern tournament where Arclight Phoenix was the story of the day. And finally, segment four, topic of the week. Uh, there's some alpha and beta action going on on Twitch tomorrow night, I believe, which should be interesting. And we'll explore what that means. Uh, and also the Hasbro toy shop shutting down their branded product sales. Uh, what does that mean? So we'll get into that. So let's start out. Uh, start of the week. Segment one, top movers surgical extraction out of new Phyrexia non-foils 3238. Um, so that's only about a 25% increase. not too big. Uh it hasn't had a real spike from a the lack of the reprint in Ultimate Masters, which means a couple things. Uh it could mean a couple things. I would say one of those is that the people in the know know that it's coming somewhere else. Uh and that's why they didn't target it. Uh the people with the big pockets who can afford to buy a pile of copies at 30 bucks a piece uh, are the kind of people who might have that information. Um, or they just thought the uh, the other cards were more interesting and didn't bother and left it for other people and nobody's taken it up yet. Uh, what's your read on this?
0: Sorry, I just spilled my drink all over myself. What okay.
1: question? <laughs> what were you drinking?
0: Well, something that wasn't child safe, obviously, because I would have just spilled the acid all over the shop.
1: Uh, I was commenting that uh, surgical extraction was... Not bought out from Ultimate Masters uh, and what you might think is a reason for that. Sorry, was not bought out fully? Well, your notes here are saying no reprint spike. So, yeah, because like, it, it wasn't in Ultimate it. Masters. Oh, you're saying, oh, I read your note wrong. So you're saying that the 30 to 38 is a re- spike as a result
0: of the... Not being printed in Ultimate Masters, Masters 30 to 38
1: though? I mean that's a jump for sure, but like that's nothing compared to what we saw on what the other card. There was, there was yeah. a couple
0: in the last couple of weeks, yeah, that were it's, way bigger. Surgical was already on last week's going from twenty five to thirty five. So some total, it's now gone from twenty five to forty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I got gotcha. and, and supply is super low. I mean, this is all a natural unfolding of the usual process we've seen play out many times after master sets, where whatever's not included spikes. <laughs> Which is why there is a legitimate um, argument for you know the the counterbalancing of opportunities where sure cards get cheaper when they are reprinted, but that usually means some other set of cards get even more expensive. Now on the net net is the community winning as a whole or things just keep staying relatively even. I'd argue that uh, the more you reprint things, the more you drive down the overall price. Um, But that so far we've seen mostly an evening of things. Um, But that doesn't change the fact that you still get these entry points, which are very good to have.
1: Well, that i completely agree with totally on board with that uh overall it's better for the community when these cards are reprinted but um that also those <sighs> gains those improvements for the community are also erased over time uh as the cards go back up so you know it's good for
0: a couple months uh, and then i think prices generally get back to where they were close to it that's what we're talking about i mean some stuff stays down low for ages like Rashad and port got driven into the ground and shows no sign of recovering. Cause it's only really used in a few decks in legacy and legacy is a dying format. So, or at least stalled at the very least. Um, so stuff from like all, uh, eternal masters that didn't have a big presence in EDH didn't recover very well. Um, but as long as that stuff is relevant in modern and or EDH and preferably both, you're going to be in a pretty good position to recover, say, in six, 12 months at the outside, sometimes sooner, depending on whether the thing is a four of staple across multiple decks.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's some cards that are going to fall into that uh, very expensive because uh, of just utter ultimate lack of supply. But once they get that first reprint, they crash and never recover. Um, Richardown Report is a perfect example. Uh, Imperial Recru- no, was it Imperial Recruiter. Uh, Loyal Retainer was one of them. Um, that card was a zillion dollars and then ended up in CMA and, and plummeted and never recovered. So you got a couple of those, but there's only so many of those that uh, are going to come out. And then there's not going to be any more cards like that, right? Like eventually you're going to hit the limit of those types of cards and suddenly you find yourself where... Um, you know, you don't get you don't get to enjoy
0: that effect as much anymore. Surgical Stactions are the top twenty cards in Modern. Um, usually played at least two copies uh, where it's played at all. Sometimes the board, ever so occasionally in the main, and it's probably got some room to run given how low supply is and Fireaxe and Mana symbols really uh, limit where it can be reprinted. I'm worried that things like um, what were we talking about last time. There's some stuff like metamorphos that might easily show up as a gruel card in the next standard, Ravnica said, but I don't, don't think there's any chance of surgical extraction showing up because it doesn't fit into the mechanics um, or the flavor of the Ravnica block. Um, but if there's a supplemental product announced for the summer or something, then it could easily show up there, but you're still going to get four to six month window to unload your surgicals. I've already started selling and happy to just slowly sell up that ramp. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I'd be happy to get rid of mine if I had any left. I sold out a while ago. Um, I mean, you are not... It is extremely unlikely you're going to see Frexian Mana back anytime soon. Really anywhere, right? Like, that's a pretty close to the top of the storm scale, I think. Uh, <clears throat> well, they know they have to put it somewhere. So you'll get it. If it's not an Ultimate Masters, I don't know. The, the, you'll have some product that comes out in like March, right? That'll, that's basically guaranteed to have it. Whatever the, the thing that isn't Ultimate Masters is, will have it. Um, after that is Treasure Map out of Ixalon. Foils um, 5 to 650, a uh, meager you know, 30% increase. Um, but it's building on standard demand. Buy lists are right around market value. Uh, <clears throat> And it's definitely. Well, see, this is interesting. So here you wrote down, "It's time to sell," but the card is had a door to ten dollars. I don't understand that.
0: Well, because you're never going to get if it hits hits ten after fees, you're getting like eight twenty five or something, right? So if you can get six fifty from a buy list now with zero risk, and you're holding a lot of copies, that may be your best play. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely good. If you're confident, you can wait until you can get buy list up to eight, but that's a greedy play for sure. For sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. And, and you can split the difference too. If you get, if you, sometimes I'll, you know, start selling, um, you know, play sets into a hype spike, but won't get through all of mine and then the rest go to the buy list at a slightly reduced rate. So I get mm-hmm. some kind of blended return between the two.
1: Yeah. Which is usually, I think uh, a pretty reasonable strategy too. I've done that a couple times. Head uh, your bets essentially.
0: Like Abu is claiming they're sold out of treasure maps at twelve bucks. So, what's their buy list looking like? Card Kingdom six fifty trade five dollars cash, pretty strong. Um, and keep in mind, these are things like you could you could pick these up off the table in the earlier drafts for Ixelon. Yeah, that's quite cheap, really. Like treasure map was down as low as like a dollar or two. Well, we're talking Not about print. foils. Uh, no, that's regular treasure maps. Oh, these were on as
1: foil. Boy, we are batting a thousand on this spreadsheet today.
0: Yeah, this—that's regular treasure maps that are buy that are buy listable at six fifty. Oh, geez, okay. So a- Abu's buy listing four ten cash because they've you know these guys Alpha Beta Unlimited has that huge gap between um, their credit and cash bonus, but they're offering four ten cash nine forty five in trade. Which even if their cards are typically priced twenty five percent above what they should be, which has been the case on a lot of this stuff this year, um, you know, you're still getting like seven or eight bucks copy. In which case, I think that's a slam dunk sell.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a real good return.
0: Yep, and this is and that's a card that's not gonna, not not going to be a thing in EDH. It's not going to show up in Modern. You want to be out of this card shortly. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you on that one. Especially if that next Pro Tour in Cleveland is Modern, not Standard. Um. You know, all of that stuff adds up as the season drags on and people settle into their decks and the meta stops shifting as much. Maybe it it shifts once we get that new Ravnica set, and maybe it shifts towards Treasure Map. Maybe it shifts away. Going to be hard to tell until you see what you get. Yeah,
1: yeah. Anytime you can get almost ten bucks for a standard rare, it's typically correct. It's, you know, unless yeah.
0: it's Noble Hierarch, then you need to be out of that. Yep. All right, so next on the list, we got Thran Quarry, the JSS version. Um, this is also a card that hardly sees play anywhere. Um, Thran Quarry is the land that I believe makes any color, but only if you control a creature. So if you try to run that action in EDH or Modern, people just kill the creature um, and turn off your land, which gives them a two for one, which is not a situation you generally want to be in. Um, I did have an all creatures deck built for Modern at one point that I'm sure was quite terrible. Um so, I mean, this is just people targeting these kind of outlier foils, like looking at supply lists and picking out stuff that's at super low supply and stocking a few copies away. It's kind of a nothing to see here kind of event. But if you happen to have a couple of these sitting around in a binder, you might want to start keeping your eye on buy lists or throw a couple up on eBay or TCG to see if you can move them.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> I mean, this is a weird card. It's not terribly popular. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with, with ditching these if you can get rid of them. <laughs> Um. After that, we got Lanor Waste out of Apocalypse foils 15 to 30. Is it really only 15 bucks for the foils of this card? I kind of find it hard to believe, honestly.
0: That seems... Weird. Yeah, I, this kind of data that, come, that ultimately comes out of TCG player can easily be misconstrued if somebody posts a cheap copy and then it sells and then somebody buys a copy at a higher price point and the, the market jumps back up. Um, so I'm not 100% sure what happened here. It did seem low to me as well. Um, but the fundamental reason why original Painland foils from Apocalypse, um, are popular is because they're old border, um, foils look pretty good, and the Painlands are in tens of thousands of EDH decks across North America alone, so, um... You know, there's ample demand to move those cards, and they're always in relatively shallow supply, given how long it's been since the that set of printings came out. Yeah, Oculus was I don't even know when early two thousands.
1: Uh, yeah, that was old. Was it even that early? Uh, I guess so, right? Because Magic was ninety four, ninety five, it started, but it would have been close to the turn of the century for sure. Apocalypse um, I mean, was two thousand and one, June 2001. of two thousand one. Uh, so I know <laughs> that the um. Oh shoot. The, what's the blue green one? Uh it's gonna bug me that I can't remember this. That one uh, was definitely uh Yavamayakos. Yeah, Yav Mycos was definitely more than f- fifteen or even thirty dollars for pack fo- for apocalypse foils. Uh I remember snagging them I think at like twenty or thirty and that was a deal. So Yeah. This may be an errant yeah. data point.
0: Next on the list, we have Arjun, the Shifting Flame Commander 2015 card, uh, in theory, going from $2 to $5. This is on the back of Niv-Mizzet Commander hype. I think Wedge had a Niv-Mizzet Commander video uh, this week, and one of the writers over at QS was also uh, referencing Niv-Mizzet as like an up-and-coming commander, um, and this is kind of like an auto-include in those decks, uh, because it interacts with the uh, Instance and Sorceries theme um, that's core to the deck. And um, there's also a couple of other blue red commanders that have similar themes where uh, the card can fit in. So yet again, we're seeing a single printing commander uh, card that was only printed in, in those fall commander decks um, gain some traction. Buy lists right now, I'm going to guess they're still pretty low if, if this shows up at all, but you know, it's really about whether niv is going to be popular six months from now. One of the things we've seen um, something like Slimefoot uh, from Dominaria seemed like it was going to be a hot commander. And then a few months later, everybody forgot about that. Yeah. Um, Those are tricky. Like you'll get
1: that temporary spike, right. And people definitely are interested in it for a period. And then you lose it entirely, essentially. Uh, you still get some occasional buy-in from people, but, uh, you know, you lose a lot. Now it doesn't mean that people stop buying it. You know, they tend to hold some amount of popularity. People will still come back to those cards, those commanders, Slowly but surely, uh, you'll move copies, but it slows way down once you move away from the content source that triggered the interest in the first place.
0: There's definitely some subtlety in terms of how you need to approach um, comparisons between well-established, super popular top 20 of all time commanders and a brand new commander. A brand new commander can still sell some cards if the supply is low and just a few hundred people decide to build the deck. If the card, the foil of the card in, in question that you're talking about, or the like single printing card in this case, um, is say 50 copies available on TCG or something, and you expect 500 people in North America to uh, purchase that card from the various platforms, then you can easily have demand outpay supply. On a card, on a commander like a Traxa, like top five all time, um, you know you're going to have a lot more people in. Yeah, are there way more of that deck built? Yes, but is the deck already built and not being added to? Probably. So, you know, in a a player, you're looking to sell them some new card that auto slots into their deck. That's a must have that's going to rise up to like 50 percent plus of the decks running it are going to kick something else out of a slot and and put in this new and improved thing that makes perfect sense. Um, whereas with a new commander, you're trying to figure out what is the super low supply stuff that people are going to get turned on to by some piece of content or by their buddy that's also building the deck and suddenly run out and go looking for it.
1: Yeah, which you can catch those uh, if you're real quick to the table, but in generally there aren't that many of those per deck. Uh, I think like Arcades was a really good example of someone that that's happened with recently. Uh, You know, it was good and made a bunch of wall cards spike, but then you know if you got in, if you know if you saw Arcades spoiled and said, "Oh, I got to go buy some defender cards," uh, you could do pretty well, but it was short-lived. So real profits, but brief
0: card kingdom's offering a dollar 50 on our June and the dollar 95 and credit. So I did pick up, uh, like a pile of 20 or so from Europe for like 95 cents us a piece, plus whatever the shipping was, um, that'll come over in the massive bundle of mythic editions I have coming in from, uh, the UK based GP next. Yeah. This coming weekend, I think. Um, so I should have a pretty exciting package coming in in two weeks that I might Twitch stream. Um, Those situations where Europe still has cards where you can just basically double up by buy listing are just automatics. Like, you haven't looked into that whole scene yet. You should do it. (laughs) It's not bad. It's not bad. Nope. Uh, Okay. And and they can't even level the argument about, like, ruining um, access to cards because you're talking about geographic zones that clearly don't want the cards. That's why there's a price disparity um, and you are moving them into a zone where they do want the cards and you're as an, off, through the process of offering a competitive price point, which is often, you know, the individual financiers is, is going to be a lower price point than your average vendor because of overhead and so forth. um, You're actually likely to be helping. <laughs> I'm, no, one, no one wants to hear ration, rational thought like that.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the people who would most be most well served by your messaging here are the people least likely to hear it likely so. to be listening yeah <laughs> uh okay so after that we've got colarian entrancer out of weatherlight non-foil 350 to 9 for a little over double up uh this is a real rough reserve list card uh <laughs> i mean i guess this is somebody taking their shot right it's reserve list we've said before it's hard to lose uh, someone's putting us to the
0: test i think you take you take the barrel of reserve list cards Yeah, empty it out know. Then you flip it over and you knock it on top a few times and some slime falls out and then after that this card is stuck to the bottom and eventually drifts down onto the ground hmm. that is uh that's one way to put it yeah I mean this is this is just mopping up nonsense buy list is somewhere around a buck 70 credit on these through card kingdom um, not something you're gonna be too excited about I mean hey dollar 70 I I, isn't nothing. Wow. It, compared to the $9 we're claiming this card is now worth. Right. Um, big gap that needs to close there before you're going to see any returns if you bought them at $350. That is for sure. Because literally no one's playing it anywhere. And, and the whole thing is that rather than trying to be the last guy in on the reserve list play at the very, very low end of that market, there's so much else going on around you as we're going to talk about shortly yeah so let's just plow through chancellor of the tangle foils from uh new Phyrexia. is it the foils or is it the foils?
1: uh that one was the foil i believe yes that is the foil
0: yeah so i the chancellors are all banned in edh aren't they no i'm thinking about. no that? they're not uh i don't think any of them are banned, actually are they played uh not really the 20 decks? No, they're not played at all. Sorry, I'm thinking about a completely different cycle. Uh, I was thinking about the... Primordials. Um, primordials, yeah. So, yeah, Chance of the Tangle, that's the one where you would get to discard it and get a green. Um, I, I don't know where if this showed up in somebody's like, rando stream, like whether Corbin was running it as his like, mining modern thing. I have to do a little background research and figure out what the story was, but there was hardly any foils because they're from New Phyrexia. It hasn't seen a reprint, to my knowledge. So... Can you get $12 for Chancellor Foil? Probably not. Um, I don't suspect buy lists are going to agree with you, so I wouldn't want to be very deep. I wouldn't want to find out.
1: <laughs> right. Only if I had to. So
0: <laughs> let's move on to some cards that actually matter. Um, several weeks back, I told people that I thought to Ferry Hero of Dominaria uh, Mythic Edition versions were too cheap in and around 100 bucks. That has proven to be very profitable already. If you went in on those, they're hard to find under 170 at this point. I think it's very clear that this is going to be a $250, $300 card, say another year or so down the road. As the GPs have unfolded, the theory was that more and more of this Mythic Edition stuff was going to flow into the marketplace. And instead, what we're seeing happen is demand has easily kept pace with supply and <laughs> overcome it all of these mythic edition planeswalkers are draining and that's with like the focal point being shifted very hard over to ultimate masters and that's been talk of the town for a good four weeks um so even in that climate where you know people have already turned their head to the new hot girl walking down the street um mythic edition planeswalkers are looking pretty tasty so i've started to look at some of the other ones um, Elspeth Knight Errant was one that I picked up real early for like 40 bucks a copy um, which I thought was a mispricing. Turns out I was right. Those are hard to find uh, under 60 bucks right now, but I think it's actually a future $100 card. It's a very popular EDH card. The art is probably the best out of all of Mythic Edition. Uh, it's got a steep ramp on TCG Player and other sites um, and it's got that very low and draining supply like 20 total listings on tcg player right now that reminds me very much of like when we were targeting inventions in the you know first quarter of 2016
1: yeah and i remember um you and i noticed this at the end of the last episode right like we had recorded we wrapped uh and then we were just chatting about something and we kind of happened to look at it for some reason we're like whoa what is this? Uh, And I ended up buying some that night. It was too late to tell anyone about it. Um, This was also going to be the first thing I talked about this week, but you beat me to it. Uh, But yeah, this is some good stuff. I think you basically can't go wrong with any of them. It's just a question of which ones are going to be better than the other ones. Uh, But even still, they're, you know, they're, they're all real good, right? Like I I just like all of them and some will be better than others, but they're all going to be great.
0: I like this other one of yours too. Tell me about uh, this first pick. Yeah, so first card on the list this week, ugh, gonna be Mythic
1: Edition, Uh is Crucible World uh, out of M19. Remember, that was reprinted recently, which is also legal and standard. Uh, I kind of forgot about that. I guess if you're playing standard constantly, you probably are more likely to remember like you see the Vivian Reads across from you and you're like, yeah, it's M19. But I'm like, oh yeah, some cards are legal. Um, Vivian Read uh Crucible of Worlds is reprinted M19. Foils are down around $20, 21 $22. For our particular listeners in the MTG price forums, there is one at 20, $20.99 with free shipping, I think. So my claim of $21 is valid. At least at 10.08 Eastern time. Uh, <clears throat> we were we had a couple of people in our forums who were complaining that the
0: prices, James and I, say the cards are you can find that are not real. Uh, well, there's a couple things there. A, there's a there's a recording delay, and sometimes when you put your finger on a the pulse of a trend, it is shifting under your fingers. Um, the other part of it is that remember, other pro traders get there before you. <laughs> That's kind of the whole thing, is that you've got several hundred people that have access to the same information. They're going to be chasing it at the same time as you, and you know, sorry guys, sometimes you're late to the party, which is why it's important to have like I have single button in my browser i press that opens 20 different places i could possibly buy a card Um, and as we go through the process of fixing up all of our vendor uh, data sourcing connections on mg price over the next couple months you're gonna uh, regain the ability to check like 10 or 12 prices simultaneously so keep an eye out for that because that will help you uh, you can save money playing our favorite
1: game (laughs) magic the gathering Um, anyways anyways the point is, is this card is in M nineteen foils are twenty bucks right now, twenty one, twenty two dollars. Uh, every other foil copy of this card is at least like eighty bucks, right, seventy five, eighty dollars. So there's a lot of room to grow on this. Supply is not super low. Uh, I think there was like thirty ish vendors or something like that. So you know, there's some out there, but I mean, this card is as staple as staple gets in magic it's popular in legacy it's used in modern it's in 13000 edh truck decks like it's just it's in it's in every cube that's ever been made it gets played in vintage like it's just a really good card that people play all over the place so i would be shocked if this was still a $22 foil 12 months from today
0: i think the key point here is yeah there's been a bunch of printings to this card and there's several different foils including a masterpiece and a judge promo but as you said the foil multiplier difference between the M19 foils and all the other foils is like two, three, four times um, on the near mints. And so will it get up to equal with them? No, but it will probably close the gap and double up um, before you ever see another printing. I mean, this is not a card that's going to be a priority reprint given how many printings are in the market. Um And the fact that it's like not the kind of thing that's ever played as a four of. So I think I I like these foils a lot. I I like uh, maybe diversifying into the judge promos a little bit. If you can get them with like a a solid coupon and get them for like 65 or something. Looking to out closer to 90. um, That seems fine too. Uh, Totally solid. Crucible's not going anywhere. Yep. I like it. Uh, What do you got next? Um, So the other one of the Mythic Edition Planeswalkers that I think is worth keeping an eye on. And maybe dipping your toe in the waters on. Um, Tezzeret Agent of Bolas shows up in a couple thousand EDH decks, no big deal, and it only sees fringe modern play, but supply has already been drained pretty hard and, and the ramp is steep so I think that very likely that the Tezzerets go from say 40 to 60 um, over the course of call it 12 months um, there's no further supply of Mythic Edition there's no way for anybody to open any more than the next couple of GPs and then it's done, so whether or not we get Mythic Edition Part 2 um, probably factors into how hard the prices drive, but even if you know they leave the Mythic Edition concept alone for a while, and these are the only Masterpiece Planeswalkers we get for the next year or so, very good chance that both Elspeth and Tezzeret will make the modest gains that i'm claiming they will
1: yeah yeah i i again like them all i think they're in great shape i think you're now uh, <clears throat> you know pointing out how similar this is to what the inventions and expeditions looked like before is really good and the the uma pivot uh absolutely plays a part in this everyone forgot about the mythic edition as soon as the uma spoilers started hitting uh and we were seeing them and like the conversation stomped, but people were clearly still interested in them. You know, planeswalkers have long had a history of being popular. These are also really popular in cube. Um, I know that I know more than one person who bought sets, an entire set of these just for their cube. Uh, so I mean, for every person that has a cube they're a viable candidate for wanting these and that's an entire set that they're probably going to be looking for they're you know typically not going to want just one or two um because several most of these walkers are cubable right uh you know not all of them but like um Elspeth and teferi are definitely cubable and there's a couple more that are so <clears throat> just just good stuff good stuff i you know i don't think the tur- i don't think you're gonna turn it around like tomorrow but you're definitely going to be happy with these purchases. And in fact, I bought another set not that long ago, just last week after we recorded. Um, so I'm putting my money where my mouth is on this one. I, I bought more mythic
0: edition cards. And this wasn't on my list, but to finish the thought, the other one I was looking at is Liliana, the last hope, because she's played typically as uh, one or two of in, in modern decks, including Jund. Um, and also is, you know, useful in cube and in other places. The, uh, ed edh if you got a zombie theme I suppose um, you can get her somewhere at 115 120 with a coupon maybe a little closer to 10 100, 105 if you're lucky or you're you're waiting for some kind of deal on a auction finishing late at night on the holidays um, there's only 15 listings left on TCG player and I think this is easily going to be a $200 card in a year so if you can get in close to 100 and and probably not double up but get something like 50 60 70 percent out of it um, I don't think you can go wrong. Worst case scenario, you're you're holding it for a little longer and you get to play with it for a bit. Yeah, and you know, the, the
1: real play here, I think, um, is to look for uh, sets. I know that I managed to find a set of the Planeswalkers alone, so not the cards, but just the Planeswalkers, and it was $420. Uh, meanwhile, the TCG low for each of the car- Planeswalkers in the deck at the time was... Uh, 480, I think. So I was already up like 60 bucks, uh, TCG low value just from that. And then I got a 10% eBay coupon, uh, on toys. So I ended up paying, uh, basically buy lists for the playset. Um, so, you know, I could sell those buy lists right now and make 30%. Uh, you know, or make the buy list value essentially. So there's, there's some opportunities out there if you go looking for them. Keep in mind the value of the packs. Um, you know, roughly how much those are worth. EV on a pack right now is is kind of rough, I think. Uh, which is why I was going for just the planeswalker set uh, and not the full sealed set. Um, also because it's probably going to be easier to sell the individual planeswalkers uh, rather than selling the sealed Guilds of Ravnica edition. I think. Uh, you I mean. You know, in a couple months, you could be looking at seven, eight hundred dollars for a sealed set of guilds, mythic edition. Uh, that's going to be—you might have a hard time getting somebody to finding a lot of buyers for that. Uh, but you know, finding a buyer two for one planeswalker at a time is going to be a lot easier.
0: If I was to, I guess the other piece of advice I would give in terms of people looking to exit on this, because one of the ways that the prices could collapse and the market could fill back up is that all the people that are holding these, hoping to out them for between five and 600 at some point, get nervous or decide to repurpose their money because um, they have a better opportunity and they dump it into the market at whatever they can get. That could drive the price down. Um, if people fill a bunch of buy list orders in the next few months to redirect to something else, um, that could easily happen. But I suspect that it won't because people are greedy um, and they always forget to sell stuff and they're too lazy to do it. So the the play is to basically make sure that if you're selling on eBay, for instance, that you turn on international shipping as an option. That makes a big difference. One of the ones I sold for 600 was to Malta, of all places, Um, sold into Switzerland, sold into Germany. Places that didn't have access. If they, if you're, if they only got one GP or they got no GPS, you're going. To, there might only be 22 guys or girls in the country that are interested in the product, but you will sell it eventually if you leave it hanging out there, um, offering international shipping. One of the things you'll see frequently, especially from Asia, is they will have you ship it to a US address, which is basically a gathering uh, place for international shipments, sure. and in doing so, uh, they will. Uh, make use of your U S shipping value to get it over there. But for the countries that don't make heavy use of those systems, uh, making sure that you represent that you will ship there might make you the last person standing. Even if you're charging 50 bucks more for a set than you know, the market. Yeah.
1: And me. eBay is, uh, I will say their international shipping setup is very forgiving. Um, they don't charge. It, it's very easy for you, the seller to deal with it. Um, Cause don't they have it now where you can s- ship it to like a, ebay center or something
0: oh, and, yeah, yeah. and they, so you're talking about the
1: global shipping yeah program. the global shipping program is really nice because it doesn't cost you anything like you just ship it to e- e- ebay's u.s address and they go from there so they work it out with the buyer uh and you just ship it to a normal plain old american address uh which is great because it costs you nothing to offer it to international customers
0: yeah, I haven't used that system yet, so I i don't think I'm qualified to discuss the pros and cons in depth, but I know that there it is not all sunshine, and I will do a little bit of background research uh, and figure out why that is. Um, for me, it's not—it's no good because I can't get it to them necessarily to- on the timeline that mm-hmm. they want from Canada, whereas if I say I'm shipping internationally from the US to Switzerland, it doesn't matter if it comes from Canada, it's all going to be this six of one half dozen of the other because um, it's just going to be a track package that goes overseas. Um so anyway, I would look for the inter- the international opportunities um to unload your mythic edition and also keep an eye out for any news that there's part 2 coming in February cuz that's true uh, that's certainly going to Yeah, happen. that'd that's be a
1: bummer. Special. And I don't think that kills it. It just makes it tougher.
0: No, I I disagree. I think it goes the other way. I think that people go, "Oh shit. I didn't realize this was a whole series." Now I want all of them in my collection, or anybody who didn't who missed out on the first purchase. If Hasbro ends up making it easier the second time around, like it's all done through Shopify, which is what I suspect will happen, um, and they increase the print run, more people will have the second set half of the set, and will then have to turn their eyes backwards over their shoulder looking for the first half so that they have the full thing. Anybody who's trying to finish like complete sets of masterpieces will want. To have yeah, it. I completely. That. That's
1: absolutely true. It'll it might slow down your initial sales, like you will definitely eventually sell through. It'll make them more desirable, but like there will be less money available because people are like, oh, well, I got to buy the new ones now while they're on the market. And then I will go back and get the old ones after. Uh, right. So, the, you know, they print that second, they, they essentially announce a second set. And in your scenario, which I think is 100% viable, someone goes, oh, shoot, now I need both of them. Uh, they're going to buy the new ones first. Right, because though they're the ones on the market and they're available now and then they'll go back and get the old ones after that uh, at some point depending on how much money they have to throw around um, but but, but I agree oh on the long term it's definitely good for the original set if you can suddenly go from what are there eight of these uh, to 25
0: 24 well or at least 16 the um, yeah, I was- all right so tell Tell me about second oh harvest oils are still in this. <laughs> oh,
1: my second card this week is second harvest out of shadows over Innistrad. Um, browsing for some good EDH stuff. This is a card that doubles all your tokens in play. It's a sorcery, so you don't get to just spam it, but it is some good stuff. Um, I play it in my CDC deck and I really like it. It's up to 6,700 EDH deck, so that's a pretty reasonable number. Uh, I mean, it's not massive, right? But for a very narrow arc. Type card. Uh, that's pretty good numbers. Foils are about three bucks right now, but supply is oof, is exactly what you want to see. It's just enough, right, that you can pick up a couple copies, uh, but it's not deep. That will run out pretty soon. Um, so I would be shocked. If, uh, if this is still six bucks in the near future or three bucks in the near future, I think $10 is a pretty easy place for this to get to go. People are generally pretty comfortable paying $10 for a cool EDH foil, especially one that has that much of an impact because uh, it, is, it is a big effect. It's not just like a, an, an, an edge card, right? It's like, wow, this does a lot for me. Uh, doubling your tokens can be a game winning depending on the board state. So uh, I think it's a little easier for people to stomach the money on that sometimes.
0: Yeah, if it turns into in up holding for six months or whatever, and the market has drained out the existing supply and it's posted up at 24 copies left on TCG or something, you post it for 14 or 16 bucks on Twitter and you'll sell it. Yeah, simply. and I,
1: th- I think you can do better than 10. That's just like a conservative estimate for where this could go.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that one's a solid one. Um, the kind of card that isn't exclusive to any one particular strategy necessarily um, fits in a bunch of different decks and i would argue we haven't had a really exciting token commander like slime Okz's, ok but like not a really amazing one for a while so if one of those shows up um you know that could drive some some demand whether that's in a standard set or in a commander set next fall who knows but they will eventually come around on that and give you yep. one
1: um okay uh
0: you got one one more this week yeah, so this is a card that was a lot more exciting when it was available for three dollars, which would have been a almost certain ten times return um, for the people that got in on this that early. You know, <laughs> definite golf claps. Um, I bought some early foils that I'm pretty proud of, but didn't go deep on the non foils. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about Arc Light Phoenix the mythic out of guilds of Ravnica that has posted up as a four of modern staple out of nowhere. I think a lot of people slept on this card, which always gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling that the magic community in the age of the internet still can't identify all of the the staples as they emerge um, until they've started testing the cards, which is always makes for good finance. Um, Arclight Phoenix is now $25. And the question becomes, Can you forgive yourself for missing the opportunity when it was 3, 5, 10, 15, and 20, (laughs) and accept that this is probably a future $50 or $60 card, given that it's a four of. in, (laughs) And not one, but two different versions of the archetype finished first and second at SCG Baltimore this weekend in the Modern Open. Um, We're going to talk about the blue-red Phoenix deck that won, and there was also a Phoenix uh, red deck wins version that was mono-red. Um, all of that suggests to me that unless they do something to hold the deck back, it is probably going to be, you know, one of those decks like humans that posts up for a few years and makes, you know, a, becomes a solid pillar of the format in a grouping of 10 decks that are going to jostle for tier one. Um, but, and if it was a one or a two of, I would be less excited, but if Teferi Hero of Dominaria can be a 50, 40, 50, 60, maybe $70 card. Um, at some point this year on the back of standard plus modern play, where in modern it is usually a two or a three of in the in the blue-white or just Jeskai control decks, then Light Phoenix can easily justify getting to 40 or 50 from 25 and making good on your money. Supply is also very well-drained between standard and modern demand, and I think you could end up getting a three- to six-month window where you get 10, 15, 20 bucks on a copy, um, end up selling a play set for like 120 shipped or something, 140 shipped, 150 shipped, before six months is up and be pretty happy about it. Uh, wow. Yeah. So this is, this is
1: quite the buy-in at $25. Um, that is, you know, like you said, it used to be three bucks. So this is going to be probably pretty tough for some people to stomach how expensive it is today. Uh, but that doesn't mean it won't get there. Um, you know, that, that does happen. So is it, is it going to be profitable? Uh, to buy in at $25. I'm not positive. Uh, I do think that, you know, I, I guess we're kind of bleeding into our segment three metagame week in review uh, where the Phoenix deck, two versions of the Phoenix deck, a blue red one and a model red one, took first and second. Both with four main deck arc lights. Uh, so it definitely makes the card look good. Um, boy, can you buy in at 25 and hit 50 <sighs> Yes, you can. Uh, you have to be a pretty strong believer. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Um, I think you have a hybrid of standard and modern demand right now because this seems plain standard too, right? Like I'm not crazy about that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So you've got yeah. well, and 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 it dragged the. the... In the blue-red deck, may as well segue here in the metagame we can review. In the blue-red version of the deck, they dragged Crackling Drake over from standard. It was a three of in a modern deck that won the mm-hmm. open.
1: Yeah, it's because it's the most efficient card of that sort, I think, that we've gotten. They've tried this variance, the uh <clears throat> we Dragonauts a couple times. This is the best one we've gotten.
0: I- but if you had asked, if you had pulled Pro Tour competitors two days after this crackling drake was revealed in the set and it's not like it was revealed to fanfare it was probably like an afterthought reveal crackling drake star slash four toughness blue blue red red power equal to total number of instances and sorcery cards in exile and in your graveyard when it enters the battlefield draw card what are the odds you think they would have on average given us that this would be a three of in a Sug open winning modern. Well, it deck. does say draw Within card, right? <laughs> Those words are printed on it. Uh, I still think we would have got hundred to one odds.
1: On uh, I, you may have been right. So I, I, I guess, my, so in any case, my my one concern, I think, with Arc Light Phoenix is you might run into a issue where you have, uh, where you, right where you hit the position where it's well positioned to really grow in modern. Where you've had a bit of time and it's really set itself up as a card to beat, uh, is where it might start to lose ground in standard. And then you have an issue where, just as your demand in one format's increasing, it's decreasing in the other, and it kind of holds parity a little bit, maybe seeds a little ground. So even though it's really good, uh, it's you know it, it's it's not hitting. It kind of loses a cylinder, but that setup occurs when Guilds of Ravnica is rotating. So you've got two years before we get to that point. So you've got two years for this to get to your $50. Uh so that's that's a good chunk of time. I, you know, I'm I'm probably not buying any, but I wouldn't fault anyone for them. At the very least, at the very least, you can definitely buy your set and feel comfortable about it.
0: Uh, I definitely agree that you need to keep on top of the ebb and flow of demand from both modern and standard. There's also some version of events where it stays pretty steady in both, but then it start, it gets to the point of rotation. And the question becomes, in between now and the spring of 2020, which is when it's going to hit its ro- rotational peak and start falling like a rock... Um, are you going to get a chance to maybe exit close to 40 or 50 dollars a copy and then see it fall all the way back to 20 on a lack of standard demand at some point buy in again and then ride it back up cuz i mean this is going to there's no way this thing gets reprinted inside 4 years you might see it in one of those standard uh m decks in as a single copy or something in the spring maybe even multiple copies it's not impossible um but Will that make much of a difference? Probably not. The, and there's also the, fi- the fact that the blue, red deck in standard is so similar to the deck that just won the Modern Open. That those players, assuming they have things like Opt and Faithless Looting and lightning, Bolt and Lightning Axe lying around, the relevant shocks and fetches, which they probably do, they can port their deck over to Modern. So there's not a lot of reason to dump your Arclight Phoenixes if it keeps doing well in Modern if the deck that you were playing in standard is pretty much the same mm-hmm, deck anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. It's it, 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 that opportunity being there is quite nice. Like even if you have them, why would you get rid of them kind of thing? Uh, yeah.
0: I, I don't, I don't, I don't just like it. I don't just like it. I, I, I'm not buying them, but I think, so, I mean, I think it's, it, it might, it might've been Jim Casale that called this out real early. And so, you know, props to him. Um, for being one of the first visionaries to see it, if I've got that correct. Uh, I know he was, I think, pretty sure he was in on, on it under five. So that has gone well.
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, it strikes me as but, Bitcoin, right? Where the
0: guys who got in really cheap uh,
1: definitely didn't keep it. <laughs> like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, Bitcoin used to be 25 cents.
0: Like, yeah, but everyone who had it at 25 cents sold it. Like, no, no, Yeah, because when they got to $6 or something, they were yes. like, this is just ridiculous. And they, yes. And you sell some, like, even if you're, even if you're a hodler and you're holding for the long term, you still sell yeah. some along the way. Um, so anyway, uh, the rest of this list was bl- blue, red Phoenix and first red deck wins Phoenix and red. That, that also ran four metamorphose and two risk factor. The blue red version was running for thing in the ice, which explains why I didn't have any trouble selling thing in the ice foils or metamorphoses this week. Um, boy, selling, selling $15 commons from mm-hmm. shadow feels good. Uh, wait, was it a card in, in shadow or an uncommon.
1: Oh, uh, uncommon in mono, Modern Masters and common in Shadow Got
0: it. All right. So I thought. Um, then we had in third, blue white control. This time, for those keeping count, three Jaces and two Teferis um, in that ongoing struggle. Death Shadow, uh, the Grixis version, was in fourth. Jund in a pretty classic configuration, but with three Assassin's Trophies. And then two Jeskai controls in sixth and seventh, running three Teferis each and zero Jace. So some total, that's not, that was eight Teferi's three Jaces between the three control decks. I mean, Teferi Uh, is
1: clearly winning this battle at the moment. Um, No, no question about that. Uh, Will that, is that permanent? I mean, I don't think so. I would imagine that kind of ebb and flows and you don't know what they're going to print. They could make print something that incidentally is ridiculous with Jace, but for the time being, it's definitely all about Teferi.
0: And then eighth place was KCI, the deck, the current deck that everyone loves to hate. Um, So modern still looking diverse. Phoenix doing very well. Um, Over in GP uh, Shizuko, Shizuka, Shizuka. I'm going to go with probably still a massacre of the word. Over in Japan, um, we had a standard GP with 2,000 players or so. Um, Golgari Aggro took the trophy there, led up by Celestia tokens. So we are seeing this rotation in the standard meta where there's like five major archetypes or so, um, and no one uh, archetype seems to be dominating the entire season. There's definitely some jostling going on. So before Golgari mid-range kind of got knocked off the podium, and now it's back in an aggro configuration, took four of the top eight slots in Japan, um, tokens in second, uh, side note: There, I briefly looked at March of the Multitudes as a potential pick this week. It's at six bucks or so. If the the token stack kept doing well, maybe it breaks ten, goes to fifteen, kind of thing. But there was four hundred plus listings on TCG Player, and that stopped me flat. Yeah, tracks. we were talking about this before the cast. Um So James is less of a believer
1: in March of the Multitudes. Uh, he, you know, it's funny we both caught it today. Um, I put it in my article this morning. James kind of paused on it. My take on this is you look at the absolute most popular standard mythic. So we're talking about uh Teferi, right? And maybe Arclight Phoenix. Those are some pretty ridiculous popular <clears throat> cards. And supply is is deep, but it's not it's not like it's it's not shallow, I'm gonna go with. Uh it's not super shallow inventory, um, in the way that, you know, like a modern Staple might be uh, something really hot,
0: but so, well, for for instance, Arc Phoenix has fifty results on TCG Player, fifty listings left, and March of March of the Multitudes is like yeah four hundred, yeah, yeah. and they're from and they're both mythics from the same set, so there's a reason that that is enough for me to. Take a break. Yes, which I think is which I think is a fair approach. My thought
1: here is that most standard mythics are going to have very little in the way of. I'm sorry, let me collect my thoughts. Most standard mythics are going to be fairly plentiful, even in cards like Teferi, which are not only powerful and standard are seen play in multiple other formats or Arclight Phoenix, which is a major standard card, cleaning up modern and growing in popularity, those are still have a relatively decent amount of supply. So a mythic that's kind of fallen out of favor in uh, in standard can easily hit hundreds of vendors. I also think that what you end up seeing is that you don't need to sell through the inventory for the prices to rise. Like you only have to start selling. You don't have to sell 400 copies to get that price to go from six bucks to fifteen. You only need to start selling from the bottom, and you know people start pulling the price listing up. Especially if you know this is a Japanese GP, so it's mostly going to get missed by a lot of the American vendors, or they're not, you know, or at least the American player base. So the vendors don't care. But if you see this do really well at a modern GP, um, the vendors might go to TCG and just up their prices, right? You don't even they're not even selling through them. It's just the vendors are like, oh, we're going to raise a couple bucks because we think people are going to be after it. So I guess the point here is that when I see a standard mythic with 400 vendors at six bucks, I don't think that means that it can't hit 12 or 15 because I know it's happened before. It just means that no one's gotten that hasn't. You haven't seen an explosion in demand yet, but it could happen.
0: Yeah, I, I would argue that the problem in this particular standard format is that I think as the turn at up until the point where we get a new set to shake things up, there's very little reason for people to switch into that guild. Like there's you no, know, it's hard for there to be new reasons. The question becomes: Are there um, Golgari cards in the uh, next set that? Reinforce the tokens theme and allow you to play three color tokens like green, white, black tokens, um, absent tokens, as it were. Um, I worry that they that, that you're taking a big gas on that and you could easily end up holding your six dollar cards forever when you could have just gone in on Arclight Phoenix at yes, a higher price point, but with a like a much stronger demand profile and a low supply to drive your return.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't better choices. It's I, it, it was much more a question of, can the card increase from here? Not, is it the best bang for your buck? That's generally not the answer that I'm trying to. Because, I mean, if we're just talking about, like, where is the best place for your money? Like, what is your best return? Like, you and I at this moment are probably going to say Mythic Edition, right? Like, or something similar to that and be like, yeah, just. Spent a lot of money on mythic edition and who cares about most of the rest of this stuff. Right. But not everyone is in all those positions. Plus you should diversify. So you end
0: up having to look at some other options. I'd, I'd be willing to hold like a play set or two of March in the multitudes. And, but I, I feel like it's important to note that it's a high risk. guess. Like you're just guessing that it's going to get there at some point and have a $15 spike one weekend and that you're going to be positioned to sell into that. And that, you won't be accompanied by every single other person that's been cracking boxes of this very popular set.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be the only person. The the other thing is, if you have a standard card that gets really popular, you have a lot of people that can buy that card, right? Like the amount of people that will... Which it is. Yeah, if standard's popular, which it is, and you suddenly have a March of the Multitudes deck do well and people want to play it, You know, this is not an EDH deck where, you know, a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people decide to build the deck and go looking for the card. I mean, standard can drive tens of thousands of people, maybe to go buy cards, at least thousands, right? Thousands. That seems fair. I mean, I think you I think standard in can move can quickly move demand in a way on a large volume of cards in a way that nobody else can. EDH is definitely the most popular magic format, but you're not going to have thousands of people on one result turnaround and try and buy four copies of this card in a way that you can get in standard.
0: Sure. All right. So let's move along to our topics of the week. We've got a couple things to go through. Um, the first of which is that HasbroToyShop.com, the infamous um, disaster zone where many of us over the last several years have attempted to buy... Um, Uh, limited edition collectibles such as San Diego Comic-Con, Planeswalker sets, or New York Comic-Con exclusives. Transformer exclusives have often been a hassle there. And most recently, Mythic Edition um, uh, essentially crashed the site, um, leading Wizards to uh, set up a fairly hastily assembled Shopify instance to fulfill uh, a second wave of orders or to help people finish orders they attempted to start on HTS. And there was an announcement today um, that... Uh, They are essentially shutting down HasbroToyShop.com as an e-commerce platform, um, which is an extremely strange move um, if you at all believe in your ability to provide functional e-commerce. You know, given that they lost access to Toys R Us uh, retail locations in the US and all of the hullabaloo, including recent lawsuits that have been tabled over them misrepresenting just how much they were damaged by that event. Um, you would think that Hasbro would be strongly motivated to be um, expanding the number of places that they are um, looking to sell their key brands like Star Wars, Transformers, Magic, et cetera. Um, and instead, they're, at least a li- at least on this particular uh, platform headed in completely the other direction, seeding the battleground entirely, um, acknowledging the lack of technical expertise that I've accused them of many times, and essentially replacing that, I assume with expanded operations on eBay, on Amazon, um, where they've been uh, investing in uh, making a more robust presence. Um, As well, I suspect, for the special edition stuff of probably continuing to use Shopify, a very well-regarded startup in the e-commerce community that's been doing gangbusters amounts of business in the last three or four years. Mm Mm-hmm. It's... it's,
1: I guess we expected it, right? Like we we kind of figured they were going to have to do something. Whether and it seemed more likely that they would do that rather than bring in and redo all of Hasbro Toy Shop. Well, I mean to to do it, this, on their it own. would kind
0: of depend. Like if you had technical, so it's not surprising. If you had in-house technical compet- competency and you had had one disaster, then um, I think that just you know redoubling your efforts, firing a couple of people, hiring a couple of people might have been a solution. Um, but I've long suspected that. Uh, HasbroToyShop.com was an outsourced operation to begin with, and if they could not get the results out of it that they thought were necessary to reflect well on the brand, and they view it, therefore, as just one of the many third-party platforms that they're involved in, then them shutting it down um, is probably at least partially because um, it is essentially outsourced already and, and stands shoulder to shoulder with these other opportunities, but also because Um, You know, if the revenue was 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 getting driven a lot harder through the other platforms, then it may not have been, you know, much of a tough decision to shut down an underperforming entity that they're already paying through the nose to support because it's third party. Anytime you're doing something in-house, you're paying people salaries. You have a lot of control over the cost. If you decide to outsource a video game or outsource an e-commerce platform, you're going to pay a lot more because they know they've got you over a barrel once once you have committed to that process, it's not super easy to disentangle. So uh, <laughs> somewhat vindicated intellectually on, on them doing this, still disappointed that they can't get their shit together. It's just completely ridiculous in 2018 to not have a functional e-commerce platform when you're essentially the biggest toy company on the planet. Um, and people want to buy the toys through you. Um, but uh for those people that have been looking for you know non-magic stuff i think if you check out the hasbro ebay store, you'll find pretty much everything you're looking for i've bought quite a few things there for toy finance side recently and then for the magic stuff as i said i suspect we're going to be using a super snappy highly responsive load bearing uh adjusting on the fly shopify platform that will do everything we needed to
1: yeah i the story here is definitely that uh this is a big change for all of the players, right? Like everyone who was angry about their inability to buy Mythic Edition, This is what you were waiting for. Um, Because now that it's moved to a more mature platform with better tech, that gives them a lot of options for how to handle it. Um, So now, you know that the Hasbro toy shop that we all know and love to hate uh, is may have lacked the technology to do things like, Okay, we're opening up signups for two weeks, everyone put in your email, uh, and then we'll random lottery who gets it, uh, who gets to buy it. Uh, It may have lacked the technology to do that easily. Now that they're moving towards more reliable platforms, uh, that technology becomes an option. So now you don't have to feel like you got screwed. Um, You know, you can feel like you have the exact same odds as everybody else. You can put in your email at leisure and then find out if you got lucky. Um, They might not want to go down that route. They may like the idea of making people scramble to get their product because they're jerks. Uh, But if that's not, you know, at least they're going to have the option. So I think this is going to be a big win for the average player who wants the opportunity to buy this type of stuff, but generally isn't quite as in-depth with it uh, as like James and I are or, or people listening to this podcast who have multiple accounts and addresses ready to go to buy this stuff um, who have you know who, who go through all the setup. so a big win for for the Twitter crowd perhaps
0: yeah so the other thing that I wanted to go through was a little trend I've noticed developing where folks are starting to lottery off uh, alpha and beta starters um, with a surprising frequency just the last few weeks. Um, it's happened a couple of times, I think, on the graded Magic Collector Sellers group on Facebook. Um, a poker player uh, named Kyle Montgomery, who's also five out a whole bunch of different leagues and different formats on Magic Online. Um, And I'm not sure if he's ever been on the Pro Tour or anything, but he's doing an alpha (laughs) starter raffle tomorrow night on Twitch, where he's also going to (laughs) be opening uh, packs of Beta Unlimited and Arabian Nights on
1: stream. I I just I just want to take a moment to appreciate that you gave the guy credit for five Boeing
0: leagues. Well, like, it's just like, what is this guy's credentials? Oh, he five vote a couple weeks. <laughs> well, it's kind of like because I, I was what I don't know the guy, don't recognize him at all. So I was wondering whether he was just a poker guy who might know Efro or some one of these other magic players that like has feet in both communities and had yeah had convinced the guy that he should use some poker winnings to buy one of these decks and then flip it via this lottery process. And the reason that that that, that would be interesting is that if you bring in money from outside the community. And that proves to be a successful process. You know, they they pay 20000 for a deck and they out it for 30000 through this lottery process in a very short period of time. That's a 50% return on a non-insignificant amount of funds. That could chew up a lot of the, the already low amount of remaining alpha and beta starters to the point where you might want to be, be looking at locking one down if you can afford it because you then have options. You can either go the route they're going and f- try to flip it fast through a lottery, or you can hold it and try to be last man standing and get a lot more out of it in the longer term as the supply dwindles and dwindles and dwindles.
1: Well, ha- uh, so I will definitely say that you, I, I think it is generally, a, I'm inclined to say bad for magic if you've got outside sources coming in with money who are looking to use this as a profit, uh, center, mostly because the amount of money generally floating around in the magic community is low, right? Like it's not actually that much money when you consider how much money gets tossed at other stuff. Uh, you know, Shkreli made headlines and freaked everyone out because he was talking about buying Black Lotuses and people were flipping out because they're like, this isn't a guy who's gotten 100 grand. Uh, Anyone of his ilk could potentially throw $20 million at this, right? Like if somebody takes it seriously, uh, and boy, you think prices on reserve list list cards are bad now. (laughs) Good luck uh, when somebody buys literally every reserve list card available on the internet. Um, so I, I would hope that this is just a guy who plays magic, who enjoys it, who's here for fun and has a bit of a bank role and is doing this for the heck of it. Uh, it would, it would be, I think a bit of a bummer for everyone involved. If this became the investment du jour for,
0: uh, bigger pockets. Yeah. And I don't, I, yeah. And I don't think it's going to get featured in fortune or anything and like clean out the market. I just think e- even if only. Even if this only happens five or ten times a year, how many years go by before you just have none of these left? And the last remaining, yeah. and the last remaining ones, a hundred grand. I mean, how many sealed alpha starters are left? Is, is it a? Is it ten? Yeah, probably. Is it a hundred? Maybe. Is it a thousand? I don't think so. I
1: and I, I think that's totally valid. And I, I vividly remember after Vegas happened and then they're like oh we've got two more on the schedule right Vegas was just one of them we're doing other ones and I was like this is a bad precedent you are burning like three of these starters already like in such a short period there are not that many of these out there and you're not going to get more like these should be rare uh they should be publicized they should be like it should be a big deal when this happens. And people burning these for the hell of it is I don't know. It's it's kinda cool now, but it's gonna lose a lot of the appeal pretty quick. Or I shouldn't say it's gonna lose a lot of the appeal. You're going to find yourself unable to do this because they're just not gonna exist, or they're gonna cost a fortune. Like you said, a hundred grand and it's like, Okay, well, that's not fun anymore, right? We can't actually do these anymore.
0: Right. It's just gonna be a shame when they run out. And so I think beta and alpha starters only have one rare if i'm not mistaken is it
1: really yeah i never looked at the numbers on it i'll
0: have to look i'll have to look up the details again because it certainly matters in terms of calculating god the, that is savage calculating <laughs> the EV. there's also the possibility in these i think that basic lands can take that slot so the 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 beta one that's happening on december 26th i'm sorry the is one? the beta starter raffle Bader.
1: Bader. beta beta beta
0: Starter Raffle is going down on December twenty-sixth. And of the there's sixty slots in theory. I think the the guy who's running that one is reserving two slots for himself. And so there are 58 slots left and 58 slots left after him, and 17 of those is all that's left now. So it's two thirds subscribed or so. Uh, A little better than that, actually. Um so it's probably gonna happen. And so that guy is collecting fifty eight times two fifty. Let me just do a little quick math here. Fifty-eight times fifty. Fourteen thousand five hundred. He's collecting for the beta starter, and he reserves two two random slots for himself. Um. So, and the alpha guy is charging five hundred dollars a slot. So he's collecting, and I think he's uh, allowing the full sixty slots. So that's thirty thousand dollars, right? Um. So if he got that starter for 20000 or $25,000, is a quick and tidy return that could just cannot be argued with. Um, if he got it for you know, 15000 I think, was the standing offer for the starter deck that LSV ended up buying from the winner of uh, the beta draft at Vegas. Um, multiple vendors had tabled their interest at that price point. You have to assume... LSV came to some kind of agreement within, you know, plus or minus 2500 of that, I would imagine. And so, you know, if you know, you can exit at 250 slots, and you're backing on these things as 15 grand, you can confidently get in on that if you can afford it, and then just decide, you know, what ROI over what period you're looking for, and, and make a go of it. It's interesting because we referenced these raffles not so long ago because my buddy who's in the comics side of Facebook and is in, like, every graded comics uh, Facebook group in North America does this all the time. Like, he's totally addicted. He's doing raffles five times a week where you throw, like, a 100 bucks in the pot and you try to get, like, a $30,000 Spider-Man comic or whatever. And he's one of you. Um which will happen if you throw money at this stuff all the time. But people need to remember they are structured so that the EV will always be in favor of the seller. Like you are a small piece of magic history by participating in an alpha raffle for sure, and you could end up in just the, you know, the most ridiculous of positions where you get a box. You get a gradable mox, you get a gradable lotus. Maybe you even just get a, you know, nine point five gradable crusade or something and and easily get your money back out of it. Um, it's not too hard. I mean, the population of alpha rares is very, very low. So if you pull a pack fresh one and it's, and it's solid, you could be in a good position. But and, and it's also probably worth comparing to say, if you're the kind of person that does scratch tickets or plays in real lotteries, this is um, mm-hmm. like literally a million times better odds, but still terrible versus the kind of odds we would normally recommend on MG- in the MTG finance community. This is definitely a naked bet. So, uh, I'm very interested to see how this all plays out, and I'm certainly going to be considering moving some funds into a sealed starter if I can find one. Uh, Yeah, so the
1: alpha and revised starters were 60 cards per pack, two rares, 13 uncommons, and 45 commons, uh, with a big question on the basic lands. I think the base. I think some of the lands can take the instant or the rare. Slot uh, yeah, so that in the first place where you I think get away from that is the fourth edition starter, so that's a bummer. Um, all the good ones have that risk uh, yeah, this is this is pretty nuts, you know, if you can buy one of these things that for fifteen or twenty grand, which is obviously pretty expensive for everyone, most of the people listen to this cast, but you can get people to pay fifty bucks or I'm sorry five hundred dollars a card. Uh, that's going to be a pretty tidy profit, um, and a quick way to make 10 grand. And I got to tell you, if that were, that is real appealing, how easily it seems like you could turn this around and just make 10 grand. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing this twice and getting a partial down payment on a house. Um, and people with, again, big pockets, like perhaps somebody with a couple million in their bankroll from poker, uh, could just go through and buy most of the starters that are on the market and just you know fire a bunch of them and that's it uh so whether or not whether or not that bothers you uh it's certainly a possibility if you've got deep pockets it seems like trying to find a nice crisp alpha or beta starter is pretty reasonable because you can basically guarantee you can sell the auction slots today and make a profit and who knows what that thing will be worth in the future. Uh, if there's one thing you can say about most magic players is it is they are awful degenerate gamblers and the, even if you can etch in stone the EV on buying into that and hit somebody over the head with it and they will still buy slots because they're all gamblers. So uh, I would say the pieces are in place for these alpha and beta sealed editions to get vacuumed up and split apart over the next year or maybe two. Um, and if you can buy one and sit on it, man, that is going to be pretty juicy return. I'd imagine the hard part going to be not selling it.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, it's it's interesting, right? Because let's say that you think like we're we're. <laughs> theorizing you could get an alpha starter for 20k maybe that's not even possible now maybe that the, just yeah. the presence of these auctions now mm-hmm. makes those conversations much harder so somebody who sat on one for five years and people kicked the tires a bunch but never actually committed any money maybe that guy got six offers this week because people go oh shit i i didn't like i thought i was gonna get stuck with it like you don't want to be stuck with a thirty thousand dollar asset but a thirty thousand dollar asset that's divisible by 60 that's totally different story Because that can be, you know, if you time it right, it can be impulse payday purchase or gifting for, you know, people that are in the market. Like it's it's you mentioned earlier that you thought like there wasn't a lot of money in the magic community versus other things. And I agree. That's true. Like comics is much, much bigger toys is much bigger alcohol, diamonds, whatever, Um, all much more significant markets. Um, But the magic player base includes a lot of, you know, well-educated people in high-paying jobs that um, have money to burn, especially now that if they started in the 90s, they might be in their 30s, 40s, or 50s and in their peak earning years, right? Like for every 30 kids at the F&M that can barely afford to cover their draft costs, you got a guy like my dad who's in his peak earning years and doesn't blink if he wants to pick up something. So, you know, there's way less of those dudes and dudettes, but there is, you know, their pockets are, are pretty deep. Um, and Magic hasn't gotten to the point yet where, you know, there are very many million dollar purchases possible. Um, you know, we're still talking about, for the most part, the cool stuff is single digit or or five digit thousands. And there's even not that much of that to go around. Anyway, Kyle Montgomery is the dude running this Alpha Starter raffle. I think we're going to have to reach out to him and see if we can get him on for an interview because uh, we want to hear some background and, and uh, talk about how the whole thing turns out.
1: Yeah, it'll be I it would be curious to have someone like that on who can talk about it. If we can get him, that would be cool. Um, kind of hear some of the ins and outs of it. Uh, I'm sure people would be curious to hear about it. <clears throat> uh, and if you guys out there find any, you know, ten or $15,000 alpha starters, uh, uh, don't buy them. Tell James and I.
0: Uh, yeah, you just have one in your basement. Yeah. And you just happen to listen to this podcast and you'd like to, you know get a really fair deal on it
1: we don't run patreon so i think that's only fair <laughs> all right
0: <laughs> as though we don't get paid yeah. so and then and that is a wrap for this week where can people find you online uh
1: i am on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n i write every monday uh, i do the watchtower
0: series uh, over at mtg price and how about yourself uh you guys can find me on twitter at mtg critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com and I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Okay. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of episode one. What are we on? 146. Whew, almost three years. We're getting close. 10 weeks. Um, I had a lot of fun and I will see you next week.
0: Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance and Child Rearing Safety Tips. (laughs)